Thessalonians will end up there. Every church has a story. Every church has a story. It doesn't matter if it begins in the 1800s, like ours, or the 1700s, or last year, or last week, or in biblical times, there's a starting point when believers come together and they form a local church, a local body of believers, a local church is born. Now, honestly, some people are really interested in those stories and others, well, not so much. But these stories behind the beginning of a church, they can be interesting, enlightening, even entertaining, encouraging, even inspiring to see how God orchestrates things and brings believers together to accomplish His purposes in a local body of believers. And I thought it'd be good as we're launching into a study of 1 Thessalonians today, to go back and look at how this church in Thessalonica began. It will help us to understand some of the reasons that Paul says what he says to them as we're studying through this epistle, this letter 
that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as I said, I need you to find two books today, two passages. You're in the book of Acts probably by now. We're going to start in Acts chapter 17. So if you want to find your spot there, Acts chapter 17. And then we'll finish in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And you might want to put a bookmark or a ribbon in 1 Thessalonians as we'll be there, we'll be living there kind of for the coming months. Now let me set the stage. And we're going to kind of set the stage today for this series and talk about 1 Thessalonians. And then we're going to dive in uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 next week. But today I want to kind of just kind of lay out the land for you. Paul is on his second missionary journey. If you're into maps and you like geography, I'll put some maps up on the screen. I just kind of want to give you the scope there. Uh, That is his second missionary journey. You say, well, I have a hard time seeing it. We'll zoom in a little bit further there. And I want to show you, as you look at the map, that Thessalonica is right there. So Paul starts his missionary journey, Thessalonica, and then you see in scope it was quite uh, a long journey. I'll zoom in even further so you can kind of see on this map that Thessalonica is right there. So you have Philippi and then Thessalonica. And it's important that you remember Philippi because he leaves Philippi, the book of Philippians, and you remember that he and Silas were jailed there. And uh, while they were in jail, God does some remarkable things and uh, they're freed and the Philippian jailer is saved and his family. And then we come to chapter 17. And we get to chapter 17, we have Thessalonica. Now, what do we know about ancient Thessalonica, where it's called First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians? This was an actual place, and these are letters that Paul wrote to these places, to these believers uh, living there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, Mark Howell helps us to kind of understand where they were, because I think sometimes we live here in 2023, and that's hard to believe too, isn't it, 2023? But we live here, and we kind of think about Bible days, and we might think about a donkey in a small village and so forth. But actually, Thessalonica, he tells us, had a burgeoning population of more than 200,000. That's a lot bigger than Ansonville. 200,000 Romans, Greeks, and Jews. So it was a diverse place. It was also the temporary home of thousands of sailors, travelers, and immigrants who visited its bustling port or traveled its busy highways. It had a vibrant economy, a strategic harbor, and a prime location on the Roman Empire's Ignatian Road. And it made Thessalonica one of the most influential cities of the first century. In fact, he said it was the New York, Houston, or Boston of its day. Think about that. That's the city we're talking about. Ancient Thessalonica. He said, yet for all of its assets, Thessalonica was a lost city. The Greeks filled the temples. The Jews attended the synagogue. The Romans paid their homage to Caesar. But pervasive spiritual darkness covered the city. Bruce Wilkinson called the seaport city of Thessalonica prosperous, prominent, and thoroughly pagan. Sounds a lot like America, doesn't it? prosperous, prominent, and thoroughly pagan. This was a needy place. They needed the gospel. In fact, can I remind you, beloved, that everyone everywhere does. We need the gospel. You're in Acts chapter 17. We'll begin and leave it open. We're going to stay there for a little while. But Acts chapter 17, begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read down through verse 4 this time. 
Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Jews and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now know this, beloved. We have him there. He's teaching in the synagogue. We find people responding in faith, becoming a follower of Jesus. But know this. When God is blessing, the enemy is lurking. And the enemy does not like it when the light is being shown into the darkness, when it's penetrating the darkness. One pastor that I read as I was preparing for today talked about how he and his staff would often discuss this very thing, about how they would um, witness these events taking place in their church and their personal life of the enemy working. Why? Because when one area is going well, another area can be falling to pieces. But why? Because we're in a spiritual battle, beloved. We've seen it here. We've seen it in our midst. I deal with it on an ongoing, regular basis, and I watch it, and I even look for it at times. We could have one area of our ministry that is just prospering, and God is blessing, and things are going wonderful, and we're like, praise the Lord, and then we look over here, and another part's falling apart. Why? Because we're in a spiritual battle. And our enemy is real. And the battle's real. And the struggle's real. We're in a spiritual battle. And these new Christians begin to experience some extreme pushback, some persecution. Now remember, they're brand new. But they're beginning to experience persecution. You're still there in Acts 17. Pick up the reading at verse number 5. But the Jews were not persuaded. Watch this. Becoming envious took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, what we understand there is Paul could have been in Thessalonica for as little as three to four weeks because it says that he mentioned he was in the synagogue three Sabbaths. Now, some believe he was there longer, and perhaps he was, we're not sure, but regardless, I think it's safe to say he was not there for a very long time. He planted the church. These believers were saved. He taught the brethren what he could in a short amount of time, and then he had to leave in a hurry. And he's concerned about them. He, he, he thinks about them. He, he wants to know how they're doing. We know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he sent Timothy back to check on them. And he ended up writing two letters to them, First and Second Thessalonians. So, so we know as we read First Thessalonians, as we study it together, that we're, we're looking here at a newer church. And it's a church that's already experienced persecution. 
And you're going to note as we study it, beloved, that Paul speaks very tenderly to them, very kindly to them. This is one of his earliest letters. We are, in fact, not very far removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'll show you another chart there. I know it may be hard to read there in the back, but here we have the birth of Jesus. Then we have his crucifixion and resurrection. And then we have his first missionary journey, A.D. 46 and 47. And then A.D. 50, he arrives in Thessalonica. Now remember, these dates are can approximate and people can say slightly different dates, but this helps us to understand he's there in Thessalonica. Then A.D. 51, he writes to 1 Thessalonians uh, from Corinth during his second missionary journey. Look at that. Here's the birth of Jesus. Here's the death of Jesus. And just a short amount of time, we have them here and we have him in Thessalonica ministering to these people. Now, if we're going to write to a newer church to newer believers living in a pagan and prosperous place, facing major pushback and even persecution for their faith, if you were writing to them, what would you say to them? What would you emphasize to them? Think about where they are. Think about what they're experiencing. What would you say? And you've got to remember that what we're going to read here is not just the words of Paul. No, Paul is writing Scripture here. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God moved upon these men of God and so intended everything to where it was the very God-breathed Word to people that are reading the Scriptures, including us today. So what would you say to a people like this? There are new believers in a new church in a thoroughly pagan and prosperous place and they're experiencing pushback in a tremendous way and persecution. What would you say to them? Well, they needed to hear from God. They needed to hear God's Word. In fact, it's interesting, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last chapter, verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle, this letter, be read to all the holy brethren. Make sure the words that I'm sending are read to everybody. Make sure everybody hears these. And by the way, we need to hear them too. So what does the Lord bring to their attention Again and again in 1 Thessalonians. Well, I've given you a hint in the series title because we've called this message Keep Looking Up. I, I settled on that. You know, one of the hard things that I have to decide when we're going to go through a series is what do I call it? What's going to be the theme? What are we going to call this series? And I wrestled with that, but I settled on Keep Looking Up. Why? Because every chapter in 1 Thessalonians mentions the return of Jesus Christ, every chapter. The next great event on the timeline, the prophetic timeline, is the rapture of the church. That is, we'll be called up to be with the Lord and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now remember, these believers are just 20 some odd years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet, when they need encouragement and they need help, what does God say to them over and over again? He says, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again, I'm coming again. He reminds them of the return of Jesus. Now, go ahead and go to 1 Thessalonians. I want to walk you through and just show you this. Every chapter mentions the return of Jesus Christ. Every chapter. I'll put most of these on the screen as well. But we, will, we will read one together, one of the classic passages on the... Rapture, but find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and go ahead and these are going to appear near the end of each chapter, all right? Chapter 1, 
and find verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. It says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom Jesus or whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We're waiting. They're waiting for Jesus. Look at chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. That's chapter 2. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. And then I need you to turn to this one and we're going to read it uh, together. It's a classic passage in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We're just setting the stage today, just showing you what he's emphasizing here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. It says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That means those who died, all right? Not just their napping like some are doing right now, but uh, they actually have died, all right? Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He didn't want them to be sorrowful over those who'd already died in Jesus. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Notice what he's talking about here. Those who've died, those who've gone before, they're going to be resurrected. The dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's that word rapture. We get that idea of rapture. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then verse 18 is very interesting. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The classic passage on the rapture. Four chapters. Every one so far has mentioned the return of Jesus. Now let's go to chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Remember, it's a new church, new believers, in a prosperous pagan place. They're experiencing extreme pushback, persecution, and what does God say to them again and again and again? I'm coming back. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. He's coming again. They're only, say, 20 years removed from His resurrection and His ascension. But He's saying to them, He's coming again. Look at chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. One of the major themes, as you see, in the book of 1 Thessalonians is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the only thing that Paul's going to talk to them about. You'll find that as we study through. He's going to address a lot of different things, 
But in every single chapter, he mentions the return of Jesus. And I find that interesting. In fact, beloved, I find it somewhat convicting. I mean, here we are at 1 Thessalonians. It's being written to these believers in Thessalonica. They're, they're new believers in a pagan city under persecution. And Paul reminds them again and again that Jesus is coming again. They're only maybe 20 some odd years removed from Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension. And yet over and over again he says and reminds them he's coming again, he's coming again. Now here we are 2,000 years removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Surely the hour is closer than before, right, that Jesus is coming again. Yet how little we focus on this in our lives. How how little we talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again. How, How little do we remember to keep looking up because Jesus is coming again. I think I've shared with you over the years as I've been here about growing up. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I was saved about nine years old, and I was in church from the time I was an infant. I probably was in church before I was even born. But I think I've shared with you that growing up, there was a local Baptist pastor in our town who had a daily radio program, and it was on the local country station, and that's what we listened to. And I can tell you a lot of those old country songs, and I could even sing you some George Strait right now, but I won't. But we grew up listening to the country station. But on that country station, um, it would have gospel preaching, particularly this particular uh, Baptist pastor, and he had a daily program. I guess it was Monday through Friday, and then on Sundays they would broadcast their service. And I don't remember when it played, but it must have been during drive time. Must have been during drive time. That's interesting. Country station becomes Christian. In fact, when I pastored there, I went back and, and pastored my home church, which was a challenge. But um, I had a radio program on Sunday mornings on this same station for I think the whole time we were there. Uh, we were on there. But long story short, I remember that it must have been during a drive time because I would hear this station and hear this particular program a lot in the car as we're going along. This local Baptist pastor, he. I remember the theme song coming on. I remember that he would bring his message. And I remember he closed and signed off his program the same every single time. And he would say these words, keep looking up, Jesus could come today. Then we go back to George Strait, you know, whatever. (laughs) But keep looking up, Jesus could come today. That's just as true today as it was when I was a boy all those years ago. That's just as true today as it was back when Paul was writing to these believers in Thessalonica. He could come back before we even get out of this service. I'll put a chart up, but I don't want to overwhelm anybody with a chart, but it's just kind of a basic uh, prophetic timeline chart. And I'll walk you through just the first part of it. And I know it may be hard to see in the back, but you'll notice the cross right there. And you see it says church age, and that's where we're living right now. We're in the the church age, if you will. But the next big event, the thing I want you to notice is this big arrow I have pointing right there, a word that says rapture, 1 Corinthians 15, and our passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. That's the next event 
on the prophetic timeline. Nothing has to happen. Nothing else. We're not waiting on anything else to happen before that event can happen. It's imminent. It can happen at any time. Jesus could come again and rapture those believers to be home with Him. We just read about it. The dead in Christ will rise first. I've told you many, many times of the years, I'd love to be in the cemetery. I'd love to see that. And that they get raptured up. And this is when we get our resurrected bodies, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up. We'll all be with Jesus. And then we'll go to the judgment seat of Christ, which is a different message for a different day. And then, of course, you usher in seven years of tribulation time, Revelation 6 through 19, the middle of the abomination of desolation. And then we have the actual second coming. And I won't get into all that because that's not today's topic. I want you to focus on the first part where it says rapture. We're going to be called up to be with the Lord forever. And this is, you say, well, why do I need to know this? Well, this is supposed to help us. It's supposed to encourage us. I don't know if you caught it or not. I pointed it out, but you may have, you may have, have nodded at that moment. But at the end of that passage, that classic passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. What words? He talks about the rapture, about the fact that those who are dead in Christ will rise first, then we'll be called up. He says, this is to be a comfort to you. We're supposed to comfort one another with these words. I have that privilege many, many times of doing that when I preside over a funeral of someone who's died in Jesus, who died knowing Jesus, of reminding those, his family or her family, that this is not the end, that they're with the Lord and they're going to come back with the Lord and their body will be resurrected and glorified and joined together and then we'll be with them. It's a wonderful thing. We need to recapture this truth. I'm convinced that we don't talk enough about the return of Jesus Christ. We don't talk enough about the rapture. Why? Well, to be honest, I think one of the reasons we don't talk about it very much is because we've become too comfortable here. We're too at home here. We've forgotten what our forefathers used to sing, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. We've forgotten that we are pilgrims and strangers and sojourners. We are not here. This is not our true home. Our true home is in heaven. I thought about that this other week when we were away. You know, we were staying in a... Uh, someone else's uh, property that we had rented. We were there. And, and of course, we, we took advantage of the property where we were there. We used it and we lived there and we enjoyed our time. But I knew that was not my home. I knew there was a day coming. We were going to check out and leave the key behind. And that's a real good picture of our life, beloved. This is not our true home. Heaven is our home if we're a believer. Now, we can certainly enjoy our time here. The Bible says that we're, He's given us all things richly to enjoy. We ought to enjoy our time here. We ought to be good stewards of our time here. God has given us all these resources and things, and we should enjoy all those and use them for the glory of God. But we're not to get too attached to them. It's okay to have things, but don't let things have you. It's okay to enjoy this temporary dwelling that we have, this home that we have, but don't get too attached. I'm afraid that some of us have gotten just too attached. We've forgotten how temporary all of this is. You may have heard that Charles Stanley passed away this past week. He went home to be with the Lord at the age of 90. Charles Stanley pastored the First Baptist Church of Atlanta for 50 years. 
when I graduated my master's degree, we actually had the graduation there at First Baptist Atlanta. I was thinking about him. I remember seeing him on TV as I was a boy. As you know, he was on all the time, one of the uh, more well-known and, and, and greatly broadcast pastors of our day. When I was in the ministry in my early years, I, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of interesting, I never could quite get into Charles Stanley's preaching and teaching. It just didn't really resonate with me in my early years. I'd watch it a lot. It just, I just, it didn't quite connect. Others seemed to connect better. But here's what's interesting. In later years as I matured, and I'm speaking of spiritual maturity, as I matured spiritually, Charles Stanley's teaching, his preaching, really began to open my eyes and my mind to deeper spiritual truth. In fact, this last week, when we were on vacation, didn't know that Charles Stanley was going to die, obviously, didn't know um, he was even close. I, I purchased one of his books. We went to a Christian bookstore. There, there are a few remaining, not many it seems, but we went to this Christian bookstore. It's bad, though, because we were there so long that my, my youngest son, they bought a puzzle and started putting a puzzle together. That's how long we were there. Because <laughs> we don't get to them very often. But I, one of the books I purchased was a Charles Stanley book, and I, I began to study through that book while we were on vacation just for my own personal um, edification and, and spiritual growth. And then, of course, this past week, uh, he passed away. The interesting thing was I, I knew he was 90. And the reason I knew is because he and my grandmother, who's still living, they were born on the same day in the same year. So I knew that he was 90 years old. But the interesting thing was I was still shocked when I saw on Tuesday that he had died. It still shocked me. I, I was surprised. They, I actually got an email that he had passed away. And I thought about it later, and, I, and here's what I, I kind of asked myself. Why was I shocked? He was 90 years old. He was 90 years old. Why was that shocking that he died? Well, it's shocking. Why, beloved? Well, because we forget. We forget that life is fleeting. We forget that our days are numbered. We forget that 90 years, while it's a long time to us, you know, honestly, I don't know that I'll ever see that many years, 90 years, but even if we do make it to 90 years or beyond, when you consider that in regards to eternity, 90 years is just a speck when you compare it to forever and ever. And yet the years that we live here are so important. Preparation time, getting ready time for that forever and ever that is coming. All of us are leaving one day. All of us. We're going to either leave through death or there are going to be some, we don't know, it may be us, maybe another generation of believers who are going to leave through the rapture. It could happen today. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen before we get out of church. Jesus could come again. But the question I want to leave with you today is this. How is that a comfort to us? How is it a comfort that we're going to be raptured to be with Jesus? Now, I'm talking to believers, obviously, those who know Jesus. After he talks about that whole 
passage there in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, therefore comfort one another with these words. Well, how do we do that? Why is that a comfort? Well, let me just give you three thoughts real quick. First of all, it's a comfort because we won't have to die. If we're alive and remain, if we're the last generation, if we're here on planet Earth and Jesus comes before we die, we don't have to die. It says we're caught up and we're changed. We're transformed. We go from this body to our resurrected bodies, from this mess to glory, if you will. And that's a comfort. But there's another thing that's comforting there, and it's this. We will see our saved loved ones again. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about, right? I don't want you to sorrow without hope for those who've died in Jesus, who've fallen asleep in Jesus, because he, they're with Him. He's going to bring them back with Him. You're going to see them again. One of the great comforts that we have as believers to know that this is not it, that our saved loved ones, we're going to be with them. If we're saved and they were saved, we're going to be together again. We're going to see them again. We're going to rejoice with them and talk with them and walk with them and laugh with them and feast with them. It's going to be heaven together with them again. And I tell you what, there's some I'm waiting to see. How about you? But then there's the best part, and it's this, we'll be with Jesus. He says in that passage, what? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now we know we have the Lord here. In fact, the Bible says as believers, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We're never outside of His presence. But you know, we can't reach out and touch Jesus. We can't, we walk by faith, not by sight. But then, we'll walk by sight. Because we'll see Him as He is. He still bears in His body those marks of what He gave His life, where He gave His life for us. Keep looking up. That's what I I want to challenge all of us to do in this series, to keep looking up. Keep looking up, Jesus is coming again. Keep looking up, He could come today. Keep looking up, Christian, He's coming to get you. Wherever you are, He's coming to get you. Yes, He's with you now, but He's coming to get you so you'll ever be with Him. Keep looking up. Would you bow with me in prayer? Before I pray, while your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, I've got to say this. This message has been for Christians. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have this hope. And you need this hope in your life. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved, you'll be forgiven, you'll be made a child of God, you'll be given a home in heaven, and yes, you will go up in the rapture if it happens during your lifetime. And even if you don't, if you die in Jesus, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you don't have this hope, you can have it today, right there where you are, right in your seat, you can pray and receive Christ. In your own words, just tell Him you're a sinner. You know that. You don't want your sin anymore. You want Jesus. Give Him your life. Ask Him to come into your life to save you, to cleanse you, for Him to be your Lord and Savior, and He will. We can help you with that. We'd love to do that after we're done here or during the invitation time. You come talk with Pastor Larry or myself. If you're a lady, there's other ladies we put you with to talk with you if you prefer. But just know that we're here to help. But let me encourage you to get that hope. 
to have that hope today. But Christian, this message has been for us. And I'm just wondering today as we get into this series of 1 Thessalonians, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I holding too tightly to this world? Is there anything that you're just holding on to too tightly? Are, are you too comfortable here? Have you lost that realization, that recognition that this is not really home? Our home is in heaven. Are you ready for Him to come again? I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. I don't know what it is in particular, but I want you to have a moment there, believer, to allow the Lord to put His finger on anything in your life to help you to get to the point where you keep looking up. Just take a moment there in your seat, then I'll pray and we'll sing. Just allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your heart and your mind anything that needs to be dealt with. And you deal with it there. Father, I was convicted as we went through this passage in preparation for today. And Lord, help us to recapture this glorious truth that Jesus is coming again. Help us to live in the light of that every day of our life. Forgive us, Lord, for where we get so settled down here, so comfortable here, so focused here, that we lose sight of You. We lose sight of heaven. Help us to live with eternity in view. Bless this series as we go deep into First Thessalonians. Open our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our understanding. May this be a life-changing series in each of our personal lives and as a corporate body of believers. Thank you for working and continue to work for your glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our altar's open, always open in the service. If you need to come and pray, if you need someone to pray with you, just come let us know. Pastor Larry's here, I'm here. Others will be glad to minister with you and to you. 602 is our closing hymn. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, I shall know Him, I shall know Him, and redeemed by His side I shall stand. 602, let's stand up, sing out, you come as God leads. My life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide when the bright and glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side and His smile will be the first to welcome me. I shall know I shall know Him, I shall know.
last verse. Through.